Tonight is part four in our Awaken series. We're going through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and tonight's message is entitled Waking Up to a Real Enemy. And I want to talk about the idea of enemies. We have three that the Bible mentions, and we must get these right. All three of these are waging war upon our souls. World, the flesh, the devil. Let's not mix these things up. The world, the flesh, the devil. The world is the secular mindset that is consistently bombarding us with a man-centered philosophy. In other words, all the advertising, all the things that pour out on us that say, you know what, you don't have this, doesn't that irritate you? If you only had this, you would do better. All of the world philosophy, whether it is well-intentioned or not, it is teaching us to keep our eyes on ourselves and our eyes on other people, and that is never going to fly. We must get our eyes back on Jesus, the world, the flesh. The flesh is the selfishness inside us that allows us to go after our drives and desires and take shortcuts of wanting to get what we want no matter what it costs. And then we haven't even mentioned the devil. I'm quite convinced that the devil could sit back and we would crash into each other and cause enough drama for a thousand years. He doesn't even have to do anything. He just watches us go crazy. But yet he is such an enemy of us and such an enemy of what God loves. He will then kick you when you're down. He will try to exacerbate and exaggerate and jump all over whatever's already wrong with you. If there is something wrong with you, let's say you wrestle chemically with depression. You think he's not going to make that worse? You think he's not going to try to plant seeds of, of doubt and lies in your mind? I, I'm a person with anxiety in my life in the past. And so the enemy is going to jump in there and he preys on fear. So he's going to try to suggest things and keep things going and try to rile things up. It's just how he is. We have a very real enemy. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. The deceiver is real and he's on to you. The deceiver is real and he's on to you. For the enemy or for the devil, the world, the flesh, for any of those to really operate well, they got to get you to buy in. There's no point in coming as an external demonic force and saying boo and scaring the living daylights out of everybody. Then everyone prays immediately and they reject you and then things don't go well. Everybody knows that if you want someone to do something, get them to think it's their idea. Right? I mean, don't you know that? It's all how sales works. Sales works by getting people to keep saying yes. Right? So if a salesman comes to your door, their job is to ask you questions that you say yes to over and over to where you're in such great agreement, you're starting to think it's your idea. Well, the enemy knows that. He needs to get you to own whatever he wants you to do. With Adam and Eve, he couldn't step in and ruin it he had to suggest it to Adam and Eve, and they had to ruin it. Does that make sense? Well, if that's the case, then the bottom line way that the enemy is going to work is deception. Deception means to twist the facts so that you believe differently. You think differently. You have a different perspective and worldview that is twisted. And if he can get you to own it, then you start making poor decisions, and you go right along with his agenda. 
Therefore, the only way that we are ever going to fight deception is by saying, yes, Lord, regardless of how we think about it. Remember, the big problem with Eve was that it says she noticed that the fruit was pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She reasoned through it, and then she ate the fruit. You can't out-reason a brilliant evil genius like Satan. You're not going to think faster than he is. You're not going to get one over on him. He's not going to bring you something and you're going to go, ha ha, I figured out a loophole to where I, I know better than you. He's just smarter than you. How did Jesus react to spiritual warfare? When he was tempted in the desert, what did he do? Because Jesus is brilliant. If anyone, even in his humanity, if anyone could have gone head to head with the devil and argued through a bunch of stuff, it was Jesus. Yet his answers were short and concise. What were they? God's word says this. I'm not arguing with you about it. I'm telling you that's a fact. That is what I will do. And our conversation is done here. That's how all spiritual warfare must be handled. God says, I believe we're done here. It's instant obedience and total obedience. It's not about, well, let me reason it out. Because here's the deal. You can twist scripture to basically say anything you want. You can always find a loophole if you're sharp enough. Because the loophole doesn't exist, but you create it in your mind, and then you feel better about whatever sin you're involved in. How do I know that? Come on. I, you know what I'm saying? I live that. Of all people, as a guy that teaches the Bible 24-7, I know how to find areas that are gray, and then allow my world to enter into that, twist it, so that everyone else's sin is condemned, but mine is not. Satan has taken me down so many roads that I am quite confident in. Bottom line is, he is a deceiver, and his deception is greater than our ability to reason out of it. Therefore, we do not fight sin with reason. We fight sin with obedience. Amen? Amen. Right on. Now, we're going to get into a passage in Scripture that talks about the end times. It talks about the return of Jesus. And for a lot of us, that immediately stokes up fear. It's like, oh, great. Now we're going to talk about the, the tribulation and, and it's bad stuff and the enemy's all raw and attacking everybody. And, and I don't understand it. And, you know, well, that's what caused our church, you know, whatever you came from, the problems in the past, right? Because everyone argued about, do you believe that Jesus is coming back at this time? Listen, forget all that. Here's what I need you to know. The benefit of having a discussion on how things are going to go from the Bible is this. God exposes the plans of the enemy and says, I win. The whole purpose of the book of Revelation is encouragement. The whole purpose of the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians is encouragement. Why? Because Jesus wins every time. And Jesus is greater than the enemy. His authority is greater. His power is greater. And therefore, every time he exposes the plans of the enemy, he goes, look, kids, I told you how it's going to go down. Don't fall for that. There is a great benefit to revelation. 
Well, unfortunately, when Paul tried to bring this revelation to the Thessalonians, they got confused and freaked out. So I don't believe that there's any way I'm going to communicate better than Paul. I may say some things tonight that are going to confuse you and you're going to look great. Now I feel worse than when I came. That's possible, but that's largely operator error. That would be me. God's word is clear. I just tend not to be. So let's find out a little bit of what caused the Thessalonians so much confusion so that we can read this in context. Turn with me to his first letter to the Thessalonians. This is where it all began. Page 987, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, page 987. When Paul wrote a first letter to them, he had already been there and set up a church. They had talked about all kinds of stuff. So he tried to clarify. Unfortunately, it wasn't as clear as they wanted it. They got some bogus information added into it and they began to panic. What were they worried about? Well, let's listen to what he said. First Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, those who have passed away, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede, we will not go ahead of those who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. All those things are loud. Right? Are we all good on that? When Jesus comes back, it will be loud. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So if we're going to get in line, we've got to get behind the dead guys. Make sense? All right. Then we who are alive, who are left, when Jesus comes back, there will be believers on earth when Christ comes back. When we who are alive are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Now, this concept, we're just going to pause here at verse 18, this concept is where people get the idea of a rapture. Everybody familiar with what a rapture means? There was a famous book series called Left Behind. It talked a lot about this idea. Christians get sucked up in a big Holy Spirit vacuum. Make sense? So everybody's going along and doing their little things. They're getting their tires rotated at Walmart. And then, bam, they're gone. And then everybody's going to be like, well, where'd all the Christians go? Okay. That is the idea of a rapture. What we have to understand is those that believe in the rapture view that as different than the return of Christ. Why? Because when Christ returns, and that's what he's talking about right here, it will not be secret It will not be hidden. It will be very loud. It will be very visible. And Christ will come down and set up his kingdom on earth by devastating the enemy and setting up the millennial kingdom. All right, let's keep going. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... You need not to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
You're like, wait, I thought you just said it was going to be loud and obvious. Thieves in the night aren't like, da-da-da-da-da, banging pans, right? That's not going to happen. Usually, if you're any good at your job as a thief, you're kind of quiet and just go in underneath, right? That's kind of the point. So, is it loud or is it quiet? Well, let's keep reading. While people are saying there is peace and security... Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Pause. In Matthew, he, Jesus likens the end of the world for Christ's return to be like Noah's ark story. Were people surprised when the rain came? Yeah, they were pretty darn shocked. Why? Because they didn't believe it was going to rain. Make sense? And then they were like, oh no, I wish I had a boat. But let me ask you this. Was Noah surprised? Or was he building it for 300 years? (laughs) Right? I think he's pretty clear on it's going to rain. So do you understand that it is sudden and shocking to one group and not sudden and shocking to another group? It all depends on what information they had beforehand. He said, I just told you what's going to happen. So you're not caught off guard when it happens. Make sense? All right, let's keep moving on. It says, but you are not in darkness, brothers. Verse four, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning all that bad stuff that's coming down where Jesus Christ is going to crash into the enemy's territory and that enemy's going to fight back the wrath of god is not for god's kids jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live for him therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing all right if any of you are confused you're just like the thessalonians turn with me to second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 page 989 second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 Paul said, all right, so my first letter didn't clarify everything, but we've been over this, right? I talked to you personally. I wrote you a clarification, but clearly you're all still freaked out thinking that you're left behind. Can we all be clear? Yes, you're being persecuted. Yes, bad things are happening to you. No, you didn't miss the coming of Jesus. No, your salvation was not in vain. He hasn't come yet. Can I please explain why? That's the story. Make sense? So he starts like this. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that fancy word is parousia, the the presence of God coming into our midst. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. That's where a lot of people go. That's it. That's the rapture right there. We're gathered up to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Okay. Is the church tend to be skittish? You want to see my inbox? The answer to that is yes. The answer is yes a lot. And here's why. 
because we are all, and I'm putting myself in this category, we are all like sheep who one person will go, oh my gosh, it's a wolf. And we all go, ah, and we all run all around. And he's like, oh, it's just a car. Sorry. We're like, we're all panicky, right? Yes. This is a command from God. Paul said, okay, stop with the whole panicking thing. You know what I taught you. You know what is right. This whole Satan can scare you at any moment thing is not flying. I don't like that. I've been very overt. I've told you everything you need to know. So when you hear something alarming, you got to put it through the filter, take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ and say, is that really something I need to react off of? Is that true to God's word? And is that what God is saying right now? Look at the next phrase. He said, I don't care whether it's a divine revelation. I don't care whether or not it's a spirit or a spoken word from a false teacher or whether it's a letter seeming to be coming from us, but it's bogus. Anything talking that the day of the Lord has already come. No, it hasn't already come. All right. So they thought it had already come because they said, well, if a bunch of bad stuff happens, Well, that's right when Jesus is going to come. Did we miss it? So for those of you that have never listened to our Revelation series or have never gone through an end time study, let me give you kind of the end times for dummies, right? Here's how it's going to work. At some point in the future, a bad guy is going to rise up who we call the Antichrist. He will not wear a name tag that says Antichrist. But we, a world leader will rise up and he will be extremely charismatic and everybody will go, he's the coolest thing since sliced bread. And he has a buddy with him who does miracles. This guy actually does signs and wonders that are astounding. So as a combo pack, they're pretty impressive. They have the religious side. They have the political side. They raise up in the Middle East. They make a pact with Israel. Now, that is going to be a big deal because then the Middle East begins to get peaceful. Halfway through, three, year, three and a half years later, that crew who's now in power breaks the treaty, according to Daniel chapter 9, breaks the treaty with Israel. Everything breaks loose because now he decides all religion is bogus and like the emperor's Like Nero and Caligula, he proclaims himself to be God, sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem that hasn't been rebuilt yet. He sets himself up in the temple, declares himself to be God and punishes anyone that will not worship him. Three and a half more years of that terrible leadership. And Jesus comes back and says, I'm actually the rightful king. You need to go now. And he blows him up and he dies. All right, we all good on that one? (laughs) All right, fantastic. There you go. Now, the only argument that ever comes up in these things is when are the Christians going to go be with Jesus? So you get three options, right? It's like a menu. So real simply, are Christians going to be vacuumed up at the beginning? 
Meaning before this guy ever gets rolling, God says, I'm about to crash into the enemy's territory and everything's going to break loose. I don't want my kids in there. Before it starts to rain, I'm going to put them in the ark and then we're going to get them out of the way. Make sense? Is the big vacuum going to go Hoover right before anything happens? And if that's the case, you go, why does he always warn us against the mark of the beast? Why does he always warn us all this stuff if we're never going to see anything? Well, because some Christians are going to be alive, just because Christians are sucked up doesn't mean people aren't still getting saved. So somebody's going to be reading this scripture. Make sense? Or do you want to do the vacuum in the middle? So you get to see the Antichrist set up. You get to watch all the events happen and you're tracking in your Bible and you're underlining and highlighting, right? Going, see, I told you it's going to go just like this, right? And you're, ta- you know, you're inner emailing all your friends. Oh, that's the Antichrist. I swear, right? Are you going to be able to do all that? And then right before he breaks the covenant, poof, Christians are gone. Or. Do they wait through the whole seven-year period, persecution, terrible times, God's wrath is hitting the bad guys, the bad guys are hitting the good guys, and it's kind of like this whole um, coming out of Egypt thing, and there's all kinds of horrible things that occur, and finally, the, the church is now all messed up, they're crying out to God, and Jesus comes down and crushes the enemy. That's the only thing we argue about. Is that worth arguing about? No, not really. Because here's why. Jesus wins. That's it. Yay, right? It doesn't matter when he's coming back. He is coming back. And when he comes back, it's not going to be a battle. When he decides the bad guys need to go away, the bad guys go away. That's it. All right. Let's get back to the scripture. Verse three, let no one deceive you in any way. That means know what you believe firmly. If you don't know what you believe, guess what you have to do? Study. There you go. Let no one deceive you in any way for the day of Christ's return for that day will not come when he comes back unless the rebellion comes first. What's the rebellion? That is the Greek word where we get the word apostasy. It means that you once held this to be true and you reject that and go the other direction. So there will be a mass turning away from God. Now, everybody has an argument about how that's going to happen, right? Oh, well, when the Christians are raptured, then everyone left that's not really a believer is all going to turn against God. And as a whole, mankind will turn against God in an apostasy. All right. Well, that's a fair, that's a fair argument. It could be that it's a mass turning away while the church is still here and it's a bunch of people in the church because they're not solid. Make sense? I don't know what it is, but you don't want to be on that team. The whole turning away. God already told you ahead of time that was going to happen. So we're not going to do that. Jesus will not come back until the rebellion comes first. And number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The Antichrist hits the world stage. There's no point in Jesus coming back and beating up the enemy if the enemy's not there. All right? This is, he is called the son of destruction. That is the same name used for Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. He opposes God 
and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay, that's, that's some serious guts. All throughout history, there have been antichrist-like people. Okay? As a matter of fact, about 100, 200 years, roughly 200 years before Paul wrote this, we had the most obvious, clear-cut Antichrist figure to ever hit the earth. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV. He said he was the divine one. This is what led to the Maccabean revolt where you know Hanukkah from. The whole lighting of the candles thing. That all happened around this guy. In 167 B.C., He came in as a Greek leader and he went after the Jews, wanted to eliminate the Jews off the face of the earth, set himself up, said he was God, went into the temple, set up a statue of Zeus, a Greek God in God's temple, put pagan sacrifices all over the altar. And it was during one of those times of wanting to sacrifice on God's holy altar that a priest named Mattathias rebelled against them, killed some people, and the Maccabean revolt got started. And that's where the whole Hanukkah thing came from. But understand, if there was ever a guy that looked like the Antichrist, it was that dude. How do we know it wasn't him? Because Paul wrote this after he's dead. Who else has looked like the Antichrist? Hitler, come on. He wins like number two. Wants to kill all Jews, world leader, charismatic, comes from the European, gets the Europe Union all together. I mean, you pretty much have it almost like a script. Was he the Antichrist? No. Did he want to be? Probably. There will come a day when the Antichrist will rise up. And the only reason he can do that is because God lets him. Watch this. He opposes God, exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. He shuts down all religion so it can be about him. He takes his seat in the temple of God, probably the Jewish temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul said, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I already told you about this stuff? That's called exasperation. He says, and you know, we've covered this. What is restraining him now? So that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. All right. So three things need to happen for Christ to come back. Number one, the rebellion, the massive rebellion. Number two, the Antichrist is revealed. Number three, the restrainer, the one that's been shutting all these guys down all along, steps out of the way. Notice it does not say that he's removed. It says that he steps aside. Who is the person that has been keeping the enemy shut down for millennia? The Holy Spirit. Uh, There's 12 options. Everybody thinks they know who it is. Well, the restrainer is this, and it's the Roman Empire, and it's this guy, and it's Nero come back to life, and blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares. It's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in charge, 
And he gets to determine when the Antichrist is coming. So every time Satan tries to get his party going, the Holy Spirit goes crush, crush, crush. Well, one time the father's going to go, Holy Spirit, hold up, let him through. That's the end of the world. Make sense? All right. It says this. And when the lawless one, verse eight, when the Antichrist And then he will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus, the true master and ruler will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. How tough of a fight was that? Y'all tracking with that? And Jesus shows up and goes, (sighs) (laughs) blows that guy apart. He ends up in the lake of fire. And then it said, when the real king shows up, the fake king's embarrassed. Yeah, that's how it's going to go. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Really? No kidding. With all power and false signs and with wonders. All right. That is the same triple way of describing the ministry of Jesus Christ. He came with power, with signs and with wonders. There is legitimate and there is illegitimate. There is right and there is bogus. There is true and there is counterfeit. So the presence of a miracle does not indicate whether God is in it or not. It merely indicates that supernatural power is around. The way you find out is you look at the fruit of the ministry. You look at how, what it caused. Was it looking like it was trying to be deceptive to cause damage? Was it mixed with terrible things or was it causing people to engage with God and sing his praise? This is how you figure things out. A lot of us, we just don't like anything odd. Well, that's understand if there's a counterfeit, that means there's a legitimate. My frustration with the church today all across the United States is that we don't have a lot of the true. So there's no point. I mean, when a counterfeit comes, we don't even have the real stuff going. That's embarrassing. So it says this, he will show up with power, false signs and wonders. That's going to get everybody on his team. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. All right. Here's what it means. In general, this is how God works with people. Hey, I'm going to keep telling you I love you. I'm going to draw you to myself. I'm going to tell you I want to be your savior over and over and over. You keep rejecting me. And saying, I don't want your love. I don't want your salvation. I want to live for myself. I'm only going to put up with that for so long. At some point, I'm closing that door and we're not having that discussion anymore. Therefore, there is a responsibility on all of us that while it is still today, the day of salvation, we say, yes, Jesus. If we consistently say, I'm not into that. I'm not into that. I'm not into that. You know what? At some point, God's not into you either. And we have to watch out that he's saying, listen, my arms are wide open to you. But at some point, I'm going to give you what you want. And if you don't want me, I'll give you that. Then he locks it down. It says, therefore, God sends them people that rejected him, people that are unbelieving. Verse 11, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may all be condemned 
who did not believe the truth, the gospel, but had pleasure in sin. Why would God send a strong delusion? Because he's done having the conversation. Our time is done, he says. You rejected me and rejected me and rejected me, therefore you are now rejected. We're not doing that anymore. Who is that delusion for? Those that do not love him. Listen. Today is a day of salvation and God is calling to us. Unfortunately, the enemy is screaming at us too. And he's trying to get us on his team. And he's trying to get us to buy into all kinds of garbage. And he's trying to distract and busy our lives. And we are doing it as well. It's not like the enemy has to do anything. We have complicated our lives and put in so much drama, we can't even see Jesus clearly anymore. At some point, you have to count the cost and make a change. And say, I choose Jesus. I choose the Lord. Well, I don't know how that's going to work for me. And you know what? Obviously, God doesn't care because he doesn't give me what I want. And he's not answering what I want when I want it. And you know what? I'll just do this myself. You are not a savior. You cannot save yourself. And at some point, you're not going to be with us anymore. Is Jesus your rescuer? And if so, he is the greatest, most powerful, and you are the most secure the most loved, and he is greater than any enemy that can ever come against you. Let's, let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an encouragement that, Lord, that even though the enemy is brilliant, God, you're greater. Even though the enemy is powerful, you are more mighty. That even though, uh, Lord, he comes up with these plans, Lord, you expose them ahead of time. That over and over and over, you, you try to let us know, all of your kids, you try to let us know where to move, where to step, where to walk, and how to be with you. And Lord, when we shut our minds from all that, then of course we don't know. But Lord, for those of us that would call you dad, you have shown us your way. You have shown us what we need to know. Lord, may we say yes, Lord, every moment of every day. We say yes, Lord, with all of our spirit that you might rescue us, that you might make us new, that you might hold us tight. And so God be glorified in this place. Shut down the enemy. Crush every plan that he has against us redeem us and embarrass him like you did on the cross and lord set your people free in jesus name we pray amen